0: Revolution from your bed episode 2. Welcome guys. Today I'm going to talk about uh, a book that not only changed my life like it could change your life, uh, I believe, but actually saved my life. Yes, I know it sounds strange, but this book actually, literally saved my life. Let's hear how it went. So, you know my story a bit, but i um, In the trailer, we haven't gone that deep. So, in my story, you heard about a meaningful night that I have, or a crucial night that I have, in which um, I had to make a huge decision about my life. I was 25 years old, I went to see a doctor that I was waiting to see for more than six months, lying in bed, hopeless, helpless. And it was a private care. It cost a lot of money to my parents to, to actually go and see this doctor. And there was a big promise behind it, that basically he's the expert. He's like Dr. House or something like this. And he will be the one that will find the cause, that will find the cure to this terrible illness that made me basically bedridden. Because I was lying in bed all the time. I could not do anything I could not shower by myself anymore, I could barely go to the bathroom, I'm going to spare you the details for that, but I was completely disabled and required, actually, a sort of nursing, and this doctor was such a big promise for me, so we went to see this doctor and I cannot walk, so my dad has to carry me to the car, carry me from the the car into the doctor's office through this long corridor and basically we sit there after a long wait and this doctor don't even he didn't even spend two minutes on writing my huge medical record uh, file that we brought Um, it's crazy that it's 2000 back there uh, around 2008 or so or something like that, and still everything is, is paper-based. And the doctor is just flipping through this huge notebook that my father assembled, binding together all he could not gather from my medical journey. And he basically closed this notebook with a loud bang and looked at my dad and tell him, your child is gone i never seen such paternalism from a doctor before in my life, and I've seen a lot. It was the 33rd doctor I've seen in this journey. I'm not talking about hospital admissions. There were a few dozens of other doctors there. 33rd personal, private, or or just like one-on-one doctor that I've seen. And this guy is telling my parents when I'm 25 years old that I'm basically gone. And he continued by saying... Your child is gone. I've been a doctor for 30 years. Sometimes we don't know everything. That I will tell you. I think it might be one of those genetic illnesses that we just don't have the technology yet to find out. But I've seen enough to tell you one thing. Your child is never going to work a day in his life, go to university, or marry a woman. Those three no's were like dumping a whale over a thin ice, one each inch uh, thick of ice, and it's shattered completely. I had this little crack in my heart, um, this disbelief in healthcare, in medicine, that started from day one when I was first admitted into a hospital. But this time, everything shattered. He continued by saying, I really don't think he can get out of it, but you can make his life comfortable. You can buy him a nice mattress and you can connect his TV to some sort of cable service. It was pre-Netflix or Prime or other streaming services. And at least he can grow old with dignity. Grow old with dignity? I'm 25 year old. I have my full life, all life ahead of me. Why would I actually want to end it like they lie in bed? Like why stop fighting. And he continued talking, but everything is a blur to me. My parents didn't take it it well, of course. And I remember driving home with my parents. Not a word was even remotely flying in the air. It was a dead silence ride. We came back home. It became a bit dark. And I was so exhausted, but by actually leaving my home that I fell asleep I woke up in the middle of the night. It was terrible, those nights when you're sick and night become day and day become night. And I went to sleep at seven in the evening and wake up at like two. I felt disgusting. I felt terrible physically, emotionally, and mentally. And it was the darkest night of my life. It was the first time in my life that I actually contemplated and considered committing suicide. And I got to a point that I felt so ridiculous and so useless and so helpless because I was too weak to even kill myself. All the ways that I considered killing myself, I couldn't because I cannot drive to a place. There is a train so I can be hit by a train. I don't have any access to weapon. And even if I want to take pills, I can barely move my head without fainting, let alone getting up and reaching for something. So it actually made me laugh that like my body is so failing that I'm such a failure as an organism. I, I cannot even kill myself. I cannot even have this simple liberty. And in this dark night, all I wanted to do is just start some TV like, to get a TV running and watch something and not think about anything anymore. But to my funny surprise, the remote was a bit too far because when my parents put me into bed, I don't know, the remote just rolled somewhere and I couldn't reach it. And I was trying to get the light and I, I fainted trying because I reached my hand too strong. In my illness, when it's very, very severe, even a little nod or straightening up the body can make you faint. So... I almost fainted a few times, and I did faint one time at least trying. And then I said, Okay, I'm not gonna do it. I just stared at the wall and looking for something to do. And then, spiritually, miraculously, universally, whatever happened there, the only light coming out from the street lamp was shining a bit of a light kind of a cone over the nightstand next to my bed and it wasn't my room anymore my room was on the second floor and I couldn't climb the stairs anymore so I switched room with my brother and my brother bought a book a week before and he put it there and that was the only cone of light shining from the street and this book was called A Man's Search for Meaning by a guy called Dr. Victor Frankl and I didn't know anything about it. I knew that I have a family member's remote family member that shared the same name, Franco. So I thought, hmm, maybe it's Jewish too. Maybe it's Israeli. I don't know. And I picked up the book and flipped through it. I actually didn't want to read that night, but the book was really thin. I guessed around 100 pages and I said, that's cool. I can deal with it. It may be hard to flip and hold the book, but I can find a way. I was that week, and I actually started to read, and the thing that hit me the most was that Dr. Frankel is talking almost immediately about the Holocaust, and as an Israeli, as a Jewish person, as a human that a large part of his family was lost in the Holocaust, um, and my own grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. I thought, okay, this is interesting. I need to read more. I don't know what this book is about. I I will try to read the synopsis. And then I saw, "Hmm, it's not a book about the Holocaust. It's a book about, actually, psychology or some sort of self-improvement. What do I have to lose? And I'm starting to flip through the book. And I'm kind of sucked into the story. The translation in Hebrew is very heavy, very old-fashioned. This book was written in the late 40s and 50s. But um, yet it was so interesting And I found myself reading almost through the entire book before even stopping to think. And then on page 62, um, in which I still keep one of the bookmarkers that I have, um, I just stopped and said, oh my God, I'm actually thinking about committing suicide. Like, this guy went through the entire Holocaust and survived it and not only lived to tell, but devoted his life to helping others to find meaning in their life. And that night I had to make a decision whether I'm healing myself or killing myself. So I kept on reading. And funnily enough, after the book ends, it's kind of a biography. There is another few chapters talking about something called logotherapy, and I didn't know a lot about psychology back then. I was reading uh, because I was interested in biology, in psychology, astronomy, science. Um, but I'd never heard the term logotherapy. I know that logos means kind of um, sense or, or logic. And therapy, I know what it is, it's therapy. So I said, OK, that's interesting. And I kept on reading. And then I realized that. Unlike other heavier psychological approaches to schools, this one was so practical that today it would have been maybe even considered coaching um, if it would, would be invented today. It was so practical and so easy that I actually closed the book, maybe less of a bang than the flip of the notebook the doctor have done dramatically to show my parents that I'm gone, but I closed this book gently and said, okay. I'm going to heal myself, and I'm going to implement everything that I learned in this book to save my own life, to save my own skin. So this book is talking about a few simple concepts. The end of the book is talking about this methodology that Dr. Frankel has invented called logotherapy, Basically, Doctor Viktor Frankl was the founder of the third school of psychology, school of thought of psychology that called the third Viennese school, and this school of thought was coming after more analytical thought patterns like uh, Freud talking about desires and passions for life, and Adler and others talking about more about um, meaningful the meaning of, of a human in his society and what's the needs you have as human to be recognized, to be strong, to be powerful, and so on. But unlike Freud, that is talking a lot about sexual desires, and Adler, that talk a lot about more power-driven desires, Frankel is talking about basically very simple and universal, um, very relevant, very timeless, very simple concept that is called responsibility. Yes, you've heard this word before. They teach it in schools how important it is to be responsible and to take responsibility. And it's a well-known concept, right? But not exactly how Frankel meant it. Frankel is talking about, actually, the way that you, as a human, can take responsibility over your own life. But it's not only to take responsibility on, over your own life is to basically find meaning to your own life. So I think that Frankl may be the Western uh, kind of equivalent to the Ikaigi belief in Japan, which is so beautiful that it's a core belief in society and culture that basically you have to find a meaning, a drive in life. So Frankl is talking about the same. He's talking about freedom of will. He's talking about morals. He's talking about universal values as humans. And he's comparing everything he's telling in this book to the loss of them in the Holocaust by the people perpetrating these horrific actions. But he's also talking about meaning of life and the the aspiration that we all have for meaning. And what's beautiful about logotherapy is that it's very practical. It's kind of a combination between coaching, occupational therapy, and social work, less than psychotherapy. In of course, in my uneducated uh, back then view, I-, I thought it's super cool that actually somebody's talking about meaning and not only about analyzing, because when I read about psychology before, everything was so analytical. I didn't have the background to understand. And if you wanted to, so much to learn before understanding. Later on, when I went to college and I did like a few courses in, in basic psychology, you get the basics and, and you know, like you, you, you do a lot of studying before reaching pathophysiology and a path of, uh, psychology. you know, because... You're not talking about neurosis or what's wrong with the mind before understanding how the minds kind of work as far as we think we know. But what happened that night is basically that I found a reason to connect to this book because of my personal family story, that my grandmother was hidden inside a turned-off oven in her rural house um, when she was a child she was like 11 or 12 years old in Romania and the Nazis came and basically took all the families family members and we don't know a lot what happened later but she ran to the wood and it took her like 4 years until she made it to later on Israel it was before that the mandate, uh, the British mandate over uh, Palestine she was arrested, she was detained in a camp, she was a partisan, we don't know a lot but her stories that I learned very late in life connected to the terrible stories that Frankl is, is telling in his book about working in a working camp and going to a concentration camp and eventually going to Auschwitz and seeing people dying around you all the time and seeing people lose everything, lose their family, lose their humanity, lose their dignity, but... The amazing thing, frankly, is finding out in this mini research is doing, right, writing the book, while starting to journal back there, even in in Auschwitz and before, is that some people survive and some people don't survive, and it's not only about the external effects. Is the will, is the power we have to devote all the energy and all this meaning to our life, into something. And when you lose everything, what can you hope for? I think that the common thing that I read in this book was that most people thought that they have a meaning after, they will have a meaning after the war will be over. And they strongly believe they will survive for something, to find the lost loved one, to kind of rebuild their country, to rebuild their life but they found a meaning they found a reason to live for and Frankel is using a lot of Nietzsche um, references because Nietzsche said basically that if you find the what for you will basically survive anything if you find the reason to live you'll survive anything and Nietzsche was, of course, a long time before it, and, and it very philosophical, but Frankel is telling the story about the Holocaust and then kind of putting into practice and saying that he learned that if people find meaning in daily tasks while being forcedly labored and being humiliated and abused and beaten and killed, and people still find meaning and found, found uh, some sort of moral justification to believe that we are the good side, we can survive, and the fact that we are still working and not being killed today means that it's a beautiful day. And when you listen to or read something like this, you just feel a bit stupid that you complain about your own life. And you complain about all this amazing richness that you have in life. And those people literally lost everything. And I know it from firsthand from my grandmother, what it's like to lose everything. And I know a lot of my friends in Israel, that their grandparents came to Israel after losing their first family. People came after losing wife and children in the Holocaust or a husband and children and brothers and uncles and parents and grandparents. And the people who survived came to Israel or to, to America or to another other countries that are, were willing to accept them as refugees and gave them home, and they just rebuilt their lives. And I felt so humbled by these stories that I've decided that night that I'm actually taking responsibility over my life. I'm looking for a few things that Logotherapy is talking about. And of course, I will not even recommend enough here to read this book, A Man's Search for Meaning. Logotherapy is talking about the aspire to find meaning and the meaning of life and to find not only meaning, but to find something that is creative. And those are creative values and also experiences to find values that are more experiences based. For instance, I can say that my meaning of life is to help other people. I'm aspiring to find a way to help other people. I'm doing this by sticking to my creative values that are basically sustainability, helping others, social justice, and so on. And there are a few other things in logotherapy talking about morals and the freedom of will and when i was super sick in bed i still had freedom of will maybe not to act upon my will physically but i i had a freedom of will and i always tried to keep my values and my morals attached to each other and it was so hard because all you do is just lie in bed you're in pain you're suffering you don't see the light in the end of the tunnel but when Everything is organized in a very short book in front of you, in front of your eyes. You just realized, okay, I can actually find the reason to live, find my Ikiyagi, and I will find the way to do it. And I realized that in my own story, I wasn't diagnosed. I was a few years in bed without diagnosis. So I realized that in order to actually act upon my meaning of life, I need to find diagnosis and treatment. And that's how I started my own small revolution from my bed. Basically, I've woken up the next late morning or noon, and thinking about the book all the time, I realized that no doctor is going to diagnose me and heal me, and I need to take responsibility over my own situation. Stop waiting for other people to solve problems for me because this is how I was brought up. You, you live in um, developed countries. If there is a hole in the road, the city will fix it. If the water is not working, the other branch of the city will fix it. You're not very educated to take responsibility and entrepreneurship over stuff. Later on, it became more popular because Israel is a startup nation and so on. But when I grew up, there was nothing about it. And I woke up in the morning, I called a friend who was already studying medicine because I was supposed to start medical school, but I was now like four years in bed and I couldn't. And she was already studying in Slovakia medicine. And I asked her to find a way to scan and email me all the materials she could about medical school. And I I started a few weeks of gathering of materials and I found all the basically notes for the six years of medical school from Tel Aviv University and other resources. It was early on. I think that YouTube came on only a year after this incident, but it was very hard to get all the materials. But after a few weeks, I got those materials. And the responsibility act I took upon my life is to stop waiting for doctors to save me, stop waiting for love to save me. I thought that maybe a girlfriend would save me. I thought that maybe I will enroll into school like open university and something and I couldn't even go to the test it was it was stupid but at least I did something I, I was active but by taking responsibility and starting to take over my own condition and situation I actually became better because I was busy all the time I had meaning I had something to live for to hope for and my ikigai there was I need to find a diagnosis find a cure and then I can go on, go back maybe to medical school, be a doctor maybe, and help other people. I didn't know exactly how I going to do it. Back then it was very clear to me that I need to be a doctor still, even though this dream of becoming a doctor was taking a lot of toll on me. Uh, and we will talk about it uh, in another episode, about the amazing, destructive, and also life-giving uh, force we have of dreams. But... Back there, it it was not a dream anymore. It was kind of an aspiration for for meaning. I I knew that I need to help other people. It took me almost two years to study medicine from cell biology to pathophysiology to reading x-rays, lab results. And eventually, I came up with a theory that there is an illness that can explain everything that I have. And it took me a few more weeks to formalize my finding and to formalize... case. It's like a police case. I actually built a literal case full of documents that prove my thesis because you cannot come to a doctor and tell him I've diagnosed myself with pot syndrome. I had to work like doctors work. And the way doctors work is a method called differential diagnosis. And what I did is I used healthcare like a supermarket. I picked up everything that I could. I convinced the only three doctors that was, they were kind of nice to me through, out of 33 through this process, throughout this process to give me tests that are not even in their specialty. A dermatologist gave me endo tests and an endo gave me gastro tests. Whatever I could pull out and the insurance could cover. And I had to fight a lot bureaucratically to come out with a case that rule out everything that the doctors need to continue, waste time, uh, instead of putting me in a hospital for three, four days to rule out. It would probably take six to eight months to just rule out more things. So I played in their game and I came with such an elaborate case that the doctor in front of me was so shocked he couldn't do anything. And I'm not really just... I'm not talking about miracles, but this crazy serendipity that happened in this story is that A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl not only changed my life, but saved my life. The book was there next to my bed. The only light in the room shining was on it. The entire journey I did until diagnosis that took me around six years and one more year of rehabilitation led me to a crazy serendipity. I searched around the world for a doctor that could help me. And I've been all throughout Israel, really, north, center, south, everybody who could take me. But the only doctor in my HMO that was certified to send me to the final test to confirm my illness, his clinic was based in the same building I was living. All those years, I had an illness that takes five minutes to diagnose via a very simple blood pressure test. Of course, you need to do differential diagnosis and rule out other things. Five minutes of diagnosis, five years took me to get to this doctor, is in the same, in the same building. And eventually, all of the startups, everything I did afterwards, led me to this wonderful place called Vienna, which is strange, the birthplace and, and working place of, of Dr. Franco. And here I'm making the, the patient revolution, serve, serving as the first ever chief patient for a national health research organization. So I don't know how to call it. I, do, I am very spiritual and I do like to think in meta and, and faith is, is a wonderful thing. But eventually all those wonderful miracles maybe that happened to me. Would not happen if I hadn't taken responsibility over my own life. And it's not only in dramatic cases like mine. You can take responsibility over everything in your life. Over a process, over a relationship, over the way you conduct yourselves, escaping your comfort zones, combating your, your demons and your fears. If you take responsibility over your own life, find the meaning find something that troubles you and you want to change, even if it's your life, if it's the environment, if it's a social problem or whatever, even if it's a business problem. The combination of taking responsibility, trying to fix something, was actually making Viktor Frankl theory to practice I was doing my own occupational therapy. I was finding meaning, but acting upon the meaning, helping myself and then others. I treated myself, and we're going to talk about it a lot in other episodes, I was treating myself as my own project, as my own startup, and the exit I have was my own health, me walking again, talking again, functioning in society. So I think that those amazing revelations from this book not only changed my life, but saved my life, but they're really simple to, to implement. I strongly recommend all of you to read the book. It's translated to more than 30 languages. It's on Amazon. It's around 10 euros or dollars. Read this book. And then there's so much to explore about responsibility and logotherapy and a, a lot of coaching uh, methods and a lot of psychological methods. But eventually those simple principle of responsibility, finding a meaning and acting using your values, like what troubles you, what do you want to fix, what do you want to change? This is not only life-changing and life-saving. It's really a a pivotal societal uh, force of change, entrepreneurial and social entrepreneurial, in your own life, on other people. I'm so lucky that my brother just accidentally left the book there and this serendipity came to practice with responsibility to create my own revolution and hopefully revolution in your own life as well so i really thank Viktor frankel i wish he was alive so i could actually go in vienna to his clinic and thank him but wherever he is he saved my life and maybe he can save yours see you next time